If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to invite you to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. There are four stories about um, four stories about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is the last of those four stories. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to uh, grab one of those. Um, we're going to read this pretty awesome story in John chapter 9. Um, over the next uh, three or four weeks, want to take some time and as a church family, just thinking about this theme of tell your story, um, tell your story. Uh, I need to put this in a little bit of context. We as a church family um, have uh, kind of bought into this strategy um, of one of the things that Jesus left us to do is to tell others about him in light of all the things that he's done for us and all the ways that he has uh, worked in our lives and worked for us. Um, we would tell others about him. So we've bought into this strategy. It's a, this three-tiered strategy. Um, the first one, if you've been around Heritage Park very long, you've seen this before. Uh, but the first one there at the bottom is, excuse me, the culture of invitation. And, and that is this sense that everybody who's a member of our church family, the baseline expectation for all of us is that we would consistently invite people to church. And we've tried to equip you with this uh, question, hey, do you go to church anywhere regularly? It's that regularly that gets people. Because everybody grew up, at least, you know, it feels like in Texas, everybody grew up, oh yeah, I went to church, and it's the go to church regularly part that, that gets people. And uh, if, if they say yes, then we go, awesome, Have, you know, enjoy that. If they say no, then th there's, there's your opportunity. Man, we'd love for you to join us at Harris Park sometime. Music's great, preaching's eh, but I mean, come on, it'd be great to do that. And so this culture of invitation, and the good news is because it's such a quick uh, conversation, you can do that in line at Kroger or HEB or wherever you choose to shop. Uh, you can do that at soccer field. Uh, you can do that any number of places, uh, standing there at the gas pump. You can just brief conversation uh, about this. And so uh, it doesn't have to be weird. It could be perfectly normal. It's just a part of who we are. That's the baseline expectation uh, of, of who, uh, of, excuse me, of our participation in this strategy for telling people about Jesus. The second tier of that is that we would tell our story. And that's where we're going to focus. But, but the, the brief description of that is simply this, that God has given us unique experiences, um, unique things that have uh, circumstances, that kind of thing. And so we get to share um, out of our own lives, out of our own experiences, and out of our own circumstances, the things that God has done. And uh, we're going to actually, as I said, be focusing on that here over the next few weeks. And that often leads uh, to that last tier, the tier that we want everybody to get to, to share the gospel, uh, to look at somebody like I did this week, uh, guy sitting there and we're having this conversation. It turns to spiritual things and we talk about anxiety and we talk about some stuff. And I just say to him, listen, the God of the Bible loves you so much and cares about you so much that he excuse me, uh, that he is willing to deal not just with your small stuff, he was willing to deal with your biggest stuff. That is your sin and the death that comes as a result of that. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and uh, so that you could have forgiveness. And he rose, uh, made Jesus come back from the dead. He raised him from the dead in order uh, that he could give you eternal life. Do you believe that? And do you want to receive Jesus? And I'm sitting there, this guy, and I'll be doggone. That guy said yes, and he becomes a Christian right there in front of my eyes. Like, wow, check that out. This is where we want to be as a church. We, we want to be a people who invite people. Yes, yes. And we want to be people who tell our story, yes. And we want to be people who share the gospel because it's through the gospel that Jesus changes people's lives. Do you believe that? Okay, so I want to talk um, these next few weeks about telling our story here. And, and the theme of the day, we each, each of these weeks, we kind of have our theme. Uh, we'll have a unique theme. But uh, this theme is, well, what if I don't know all of the answers uh, to the questions that I'm going to get? I do think that's one of the primary fears that keeps us from telling our story, but... 
We'll, we'll, we'll look at it. Okay, so here we are in John chapter 9. Um, John chapter 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is, it's a great story. And uh, th- you're going to recognize some words in here in just a second. I want you to see them and you'll go, oh, okay, I get that. If you've never seen it before, you get it. So here we are in John chapter 9. Um, the, the context is, very briefly, Jesus is leaving the temple. Okay, he's had a pretty good run in with the Pharisees, looked at him and said, no, you're the sons of the devil. And, you know, called him some names and that kind of thing. They picked up stones to stone him. He's like, it's not my time yet. I'm out. And so he begins walking out of the temple. Uh, And this is the context. So verse chapter nine, verse one, as he passed by Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Um, Let's pause here. It's always easier to blame somebody than it is to live with mystery, with unanswered questions. It's always easier to blame somebody. That's true politically. It's true spiritually. It's true in your marriage. It's true in your kids, all that. It's always easier to, live with, uh, to blame somebody than it is to live with unanswered questions or mystery. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So um, if we're going to tell our story, even if we don't know all the answers, if we're going to tell our story, a couple of things need to be true. And really, my job over the next three or four weeks is just a tour guide. That's really all I want to do. Here's one thing that needs to be true is that we need to get clear on who the author is and who the actor is. Author and actor. You need to get those things clear. Uh, and I'll just give this as a brief example. Uh, how many of you know uh, the Jason Bourne um, movies? Yeah, yeah, good. How many of you love the Jason Bourne movies? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, Uh, how many of you know that there were books before there were movies? How many of you have read those books? How many of you can name the author? Mike Wells? Robert Ludlum, thank you very much. I knew he'd come through for me. Uh, Here's the thing on that. Like, I read all the books. The books are, and I liked the movies. Hear me saying, I like the movies. The books are 48 times better. They really are. Uh, than the moves. They're, they're that good. Ludlam was an incredible uh, storyteller on that. Um, but nobody says, nobody says Robert Ludlam books, right? That you talk about Jason Bourne, right? You do that. And, and so th- this is the case here, okay? That, that what we have to get clear on is who the author is and who the actor is. The actor is sometimes the one who gets all the fame, all the glory, if you will. Uh, but, but really, the author is incredibly important, and we need to not miss that. When it comes to the author of the story and the actors in the story, let's be clear. We're the actors, and God is the one who is the author. It's, he is writing our story. There's a lot, that, a lot of things that we don't know, and there are a lot of questions that we won't be able to answer. He is the one who is writing our story, though. And so let me shape it out this way. That, that you and I, because we, we need to place ourselves as actors, we act like we're self-determining agents. That's not the case. We, because we need to place ourselves as the actors in our story, here's what we do. We, see, we, only, we only get to see scenes, but God sees the entire story. And we need to remember that. We only get snippets, just little clips, just little pieces. A paragraph here, a a scene here, a screenshot there. We only get little pieces of what God is doing. Um, uh, But but God is the one who sees the whole story. In this story right here, His people, uh, the disciples of Jesus, like, hey, uh, what's the deal, man? Why why did this go down like this? You know, was it this guy or this guy? This, what, this, that? They're just looking at one little scene right here. 
And yet God has this whole grander story. In fact, he, Jesus lets him in on it. Hey, listen, it wasn't this guy sinning, it wasn't his parents. It was so that the works of God could be made evident. That, that, that's, what's really, that's what's really going on. And frankly, uh, when we tell our stories, uh, and, when, and I pray that you get an opportunity this week to tell our stories, uh, you know, there wasn't all of this background. Sometimes when we go to tell our story, we backtrack way back here, right? And then try to bring it forward, bring it forward, bring it forward, bring it forward. And people get lost in all the details. We think it's incredibly important because it happened to us. It's not about us, though. It didn't tell, this stuff did not happen um, it, it, for some other reason, it happens so that the works of God could be made evident. So God, God's, God's not only the author of the story, he, he's the one who gets to be the hero of that story. So um, just remember that we only see scenes here. We only see scenes, but he sees the entire story. Uh, and what that means for you and me is that oftentimes we need to remember this when we're telling our story, that God is not as concerned with my history as with my future. The reason why we only know so, so little about this guy is because of what was going to happen to him, not because of what happened. It's not that he's unconcerned with your history. He's just most concerned about your future. Uh, this, this question often comes up, you know, why, why did this happen? Well, again, Jesus is clear that the works of God could be displayed. And, and the, the, the question that follows is, I don't think I like that. How, why would God let that happen like that? Why, why would God choose to do it this way? Why would God? There are circumstances that you and I have. There are things that have come down in your life and in my life where we have absolutely no clue, none, about why it happened. But what we do know is that God is in the business of redeeming the things that do happen. People come along and they say things like, well, you know, uh, there's a reason for everything. God has a reason for everything. And I'm going to tell you this here, okay? I'm going to tell you this here. Um, I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that. Oftentimes, though, we have no idea what those reasons are. You get that, right? We have no idea what those reasons are. Furthermore, just a little pastoral counsel here. If you walk into a hospital room and you say, well, God has a reason for everything, there's a better than average chance the person's going to get miraculously better, sit up in bed, and punch you in the throat. Deservedly so. I mean, to the glory of God. Smack you right across the face. Because that's not what you roll out in the hospital room. What do you roll out? Mercy, compassion, tenderness. I don't know how God's going to redeem this. I just know that he is because he's that kind of God. How can I be a part of this? That, that's what you roll out. And so um, people come along and they say, well, I don't know if I can worship a God like that. Well, what God are you going to worship? Because I want to worship a God who can do something about it who can take my situation and actually do something about it. I, I want to worship that kind of God. So this week, I'm talking to one of our guys. He's in the room. I won't say his name, but he, he got laid off not too long ago. And uh, He's talking with two co-workers, former co-workers. Uh, they're sitting there having a conversation about you know this kind of thing. One's of faith, and I'm not sure about the other one's status. And uh, they look at him and say, hey, man, how are you so calm in the midst of this? Like, here we all are. How are you so calm in the midst of this? This is a great reply. <laughs> I know a guy. Wait, what? Like you've already got a job line? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't know how it's going to work out. I just know the one who's going to work it out for me. I know a guy. That's right. That's right. Why can you say that in a moment like that? Because you got, you got to remember, we only get little bitty clips. We only see the scenes. God is the one who sees the whole story. 
And I'm going to put this before you here, and I think this is from Johnny Erickson Tata. I couldn't find it, but I, I think this is who it's from. That God will sometimes allow what he hates. Sometimes he will allow what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. There are things that God will allow in our lives that will come down that we won't have any reason or rationale and it won't make any sense to us. But what we know is that God is in the business of taking things and redeeming them in order to accomplish good things on behalf of his people. Do you believe that? When you tell your story and you don't have all the answers, guess what? Just be clear that there is an author who is not done writing your story. He's not. It just gets better from here. Verse 6. Having said these things, <laughs> he spit on the ground, Jesus did, and made mud with saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had uh, seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. It's, it's his twin brother or something. He, he kept saying, no, 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 I am the man. I am the man. Verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered it. The man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Keep reading. Uh, they brought to the Pharisees uh, the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Just a few more verses. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind um, and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. If we're going to tell our story, even though we don't know all the answers, not only, not only do we need to get clear on who the author is and who the actor is, but we also need to be really uh, uh, just clear-headed on this, that we shouldn't avoid the messy parts. There are messy parts to our stories. There are messy parts to this story. Can we just start with the most obvious thing? How did Jesus heal the guy? He hawked a loogie on the ground and then put mud on it. That's gross, man. That's gross. There's something beautiful, though. What did God do in Genesis chapter 2? He took the dirt and he formed the man. Here you got Jesus taking dirt, reforming a man, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a good picture right there, a little gross. But I mean, like, that's not the worst part for me. The worst part is he's got a guy who's blind, mud on his eyes, and he says, yeah, go down in the pool of Siloam, which was about a 500 or so yard trot. So, I mean, 
Homeboy's got mud on his eyes and he's blinding. He's got to figure out how to get down the hill from the Temple Mount uh, down to the Pool of Siloam down there. Uh, you know, quarter mile, a little bit, maybe a little bit further than that. There were, it is a physically messy story. Not only you got the mud, but you got this actual challenge. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, God uses physical challenge to test our spiritual grit and to develop it even. I'll give you a brief example from the arts here. Recently, Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody? Hacksaw Ridge, the movie? This is, okay, this illustration isn't going near as great as I hoped it would. Hacksaw Ridge, the movie, basically, no spoilers, no spoilers, uh, but is about uh, a medic in World War II who's a conscientious objector. So he's not, he's not picking up any, um, he's, he's not picking up any weapons to fight, but he, he does this incredible feat of saving all of these guys after this terrible battle. Um, and, and when he would tire, he would lay there and he would say, for those of you who've seen it, he'd say, Lord, just, just one more. Give me one more. Give me one more. So, so was that a physical test of his endurance or a spiritual test? And the answer is, yes, it was. Actually, both of those. It was both of those. Uh, if you've ever endured uh, some physical challenge, a diagnosis comes in. Like the, the thing that feels most present in front of you is the diagnosis. But once you kind of get past the shock of that, this, this thing that is behind it, that is undergirding it, um, that's it, sitting there underneath it is this spiritual test of, am I going to trust God at all times? Can I pour out my heart before him because he's a refuge for me? Oftentimes, God will use physical challenges to test our, our um, spiritual grit. And, and again, I, I think... Mud notwithstanding, the challenge of getting down to the pool. That's a, that's a, that is a test right there. But it's not just physically messy, it's also spiritually messy. So you've got these Pharisees um, who are in charge of making sure that people obey the law. One of the big laws was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's one of the big ten, right? And so they had built all of these laws uh, around that law to try to protect that law as much as possible. And apparently healing on the Sabbath was one of those things that they weren't for. Spiritually challenging uh, means something like this, that there are times when uh, there's man-made constructs around things uh, that, that just don't make sense. They, just, they, they have lost um, all sense of reason in the rules themselves. That's a problem right there. And it's spiritually messy. Well, here's a guy. He's healed on the Sabbath. Um, he, he must not be from God. Hey, listen, this cat's been born blind. Like, how is he not from God? How is the, this guy who healed him not from God? Well, I don't think he's from God. He's a Sabbath breaker. I, I think he is from God because he healed a guy. And they're back and forth. And it's, it's just a spiritually messy story. How many of you have every question you've ever had about God figured out? Less than have seen Hacksaw Ridge. Okay, good. Because if, listen, if, if you've got a God that you've got all figured out, you don't have the God of the Bible, number one. And secondly, you've got a God that you can manage, and at some point you will. And when inevitably the God of the Bible doesn't do what you tell him to do, you get mad, and it causes all sorts of problems. It is a spiritually messy story. because, Furthermore, let's just be clear. Like, What ought the Pharisees have been doing I mean, what, what should they have been doing? They should have been saying, dude, you were blind and now you can see. Like, that's the most incredible thing ever. Instead, they were so concerned on the day in which the guy got healed, they forgot that he actually got healed. 
It just is crazy. It's a spiritually messy story. Again, some, some of your stories, I'll just pause and say this. Some of your stories have that kind of spiritual mess to it where you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know even how to say all of this. Just don't be afraid of the messy parts. Last thing, quickly, is it's relationally messy. They bring his parents in. And his parents were like, our son can see. This is the most incredible day ever. Or not. What did they say? Listen, we know he's our son. And we know he was born blind. But we're not real sure how it all shook out. You should ask him. And why? Because they were scared of being put out of the synagogue. They were more scared of their social standing um, uh, with with others around them than they were rejoicing. Uh, They were more scared of their social standing, losing their social standing, than they were uh, excited about their son getting healed. That's a problem, people. Now, relationally messy, I, I bring that up because family is often the context in which we experience most of our story. For good, some of you have great families legacies that have been passed on you, or for ill. Some of you have not-so-great families. Um, In your marriages. Listen, I don't know how we did it, but here we are. We just stuck it out. I don't know how we stuck it out. We just stuck it out. Some days we didn't even talk. We just stuck it out. Sometimes, Sometimes when we went to talk, we all we talked about was how we were sticking it out. Like, I don't know how we did it, but here we are in year 40. And somehow, we saw it through, and God has seen us through. Well, I got these kids, and if I could, you know, rewrite the code in their world, I would, but apparently, there's bugs in it, because they keep doing things that I absolutely have no idea what they're doing or why they're making the choices that they're making. I can't control them. It's messy. I've got these parents... Oh, I've got some parents. And here they are, going through this thing. Family is, is, is the context in which we experience the vast majority of our story. And sometimes that's great, and sometimes that's not so great. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to inherit, and sometimes it's a big mess. It's a big mess. You're going to hear a story in a minute about somebody's family in the big mess. Just, here's the thing, when it comes to uh, when, it, when it comes to not being afraid of the messy parts, here's what I want to tell you. Don't try and avoid them. People try to avoid this messy part, and they do so to kind of make themselves look better or come out better. You're not the hero of this story. Nobody's saying, hey, this happened so that the works of Trent could be... No, 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 that's not how this goes. So that the works of God could be made evident. That's what it said. So don't try to avoid this. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Don't be afraid of these messy parts. People try to avoid it in order to make themselves look better. But when they share, you find out a couple of things that happen. One, it makes God look really good. Oh man, if God could bring you through that, I I bet he can do something else pretty awesome too. It makes God look really good. but, But more than that, it's also the thing that God uses to invite other people in. So when people sit down and they're talking, you share your story, you're like, yeah, you know, right now, me and the, me and the lady, we're not getting there. And people think, you have marriage problems too? I mean, you're not perfect? Golly, my kid is about to drive me up the wall. And you're like, wait a minute. You've got crazy kids too? 
I cannot believe that this coworker said that. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't work in utopia? On and on we go. God uses the messy parts to draw people in and invite them in. It not only makes God look really good, it, it, it draws people in. So don't be afraid of those. Don't be afraid of those, okay? Uh, lastly, and it just gets better from here. I love this. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man, the, the, the Jews, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Now just hold on to that phrase. Seems like maybe we've heard that before somewhere. I was once blind, but now I see. Anybody just, is it ringing any bells somewhere deep in the recess of some brain? Just hold on to that, okay? They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. Which is the weirdest comeback of all time. That's like tweet fail right there. Okay. Uh, uh, we know that the man has. Uh, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, "Why, this is an amazing thing! You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes." We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Let's just pause right there for a second, um, because the the third thing, even if you don't know all the answers, the third thing is this: um, the more con- excuse me, the more he told his story, the more confident he became. That'll be true for you too, that the more you share this story, whatever it is that God has given you, the more you tell your story, the more confident you will become in it. And he, he became confident in these two areas. The first thing, he grew, he grew confident about what happened. The more he shared, the more he told his story, the more confident he grew, and he grew confident about what happened. Um, again, here's the fear. Well, what if I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? This guy right here would look at you and me and he would say, well, let me ask you some questions. Number one, did you tell the truth? Did you tell it? I once was blind and now I see. Second question, did you tell it plainly? Not embellished, not tracking back all the backstory to kind of bring it forward, none of that stuff. Did you tell it plainly? I once was blind, but now I see. Like, that's even poetic. Like, we should put that in a song or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's a good line right there. He, he told the truth, and he told it plainly. I once was blind, but now I see. And the third question I think he would ask you and me is, am I responsible for their response? And what's the answer? No. But I, but, but I really, really want them to believe. This guy wanted them to believe too, so much so he started talking a little smack even uh, to kind of bring them along. He said, listen, he wants them to believe. But here's the thing. He wasn't going to get caught up in their games. That's what they were doing. They were playing games. They're saying, hey, listen, uh, we want you to say something. Tell us again. Tell us again. And he's like, I'm on to you, man. You either want me to say something about him to get him in trouble or say something about me to get me in trouble. One of those two things. And I'm not rolling that way. I'm not going to play that game. I was blind, and now I see. That's what you need to know. The more confident, excuse me, the more he shared his story, the more he told his story, the more confident he became about what actually happened to him. And here's the thing, 
Again, that fear lays underneath all of this. I'm trying to get to that fear about what if I get asked something that I don't know the answer to? Here's the deal. Because God is right now working things out for you, you will not know all the answers to all of the questions that you have or the questions that somebody else has. You won't. Why? Because God is in the process of doing things right now that you don't know the answer to. You've got things, you're like, God, I don't know why this is going down. Guess what? You won't know. You won't. Just pause here real quick. Uh, some of you have tracked along. We've, our families, we've been on quite a journey for the past two or three years here. Um, there's been some stuff going down. And, and every, every so often, you kind of get that quiet moment where you're like, oh, yeah, God. I, some people have even asked, hey, would you, would you do that all over again? I'm like, ooh. Here's what I know. I know that I love what God did. That's the thing. I don't have all the answers still about all the craziness that was our world with our little one being so sick and all that kind of... I don't have all those answers. All I know is that I love what God did. These things happen so that the works of God could be put on display. You don't know all the answers to your questions or theirs, but God is in the process of working it out. Second thing, he not only grew confident about what happened, he grew confident about who actually helped. So I just want to track this back here just very quickly. Can we start back in verse, um, i got to flip my page here, uh, starting in verse 11. So <clears throat> he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, put it in my eyes, anointed my eyes and said, go to Siloam. The man, did you get that? The man. Look down at verse 17. Who do you say that he is? Uh, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. So now he's not the man. Who is he? He's a prophet. Okay, skip down to verse th- um, 30. Uh, Let's start in 31. We know that God does not listen um, to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. So he knows that there's something unique about Jesus here. And he says it specifically in verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So now we've gone from the man to a prophet to from God. Man prophet from God. And he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. They have the worst comebacks. And would you, uh, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Because sometimes religious people who have something to lose or something to hide, they will reject you. I mean, that's just the truth. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found, uh, found him said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe him? Jesus said, to him. I love this. You've seen him. Now, why did he see him? <laughs> because Jesus healed him. You've seen it. And it is he who is speaking to you. And then verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So he went from the man to prophet to from God to Lord. The more he shared his story, the more he told the story that God had given him to tell he became more confident about who God really was. That'll happen um, to you, too. Um, we don't have all the answers to all of the questions. We don't understand everything that's going on. Here, here's a tremendous testimony, a video of somebody who didn't understand everything, but yet was so willing to receive and then to tell her story. Watch this. 
reached and saved me on November 29, 1953, when I was 13 years old at 8.35 p.m. in Methuen Gospel Hall in Methuen, Massachusetts. I was not raised in a loving family. Um, we knew hate and discord and fighting, but the word love was just a word to me. I did not know what that meant. pond for fire purposes and they'd made a raft on it well my sister and I was on it well if you stood on one side it was too much so I was on one side pushing and she came over well we both went in the water and not, neither one of us could swim and so I kept going down grabbing her holding her above the water till I couldn't breathe anymore and I'd go up and get a breath and I'd go back down find her grab her hold her up and my mother was in the water knee deep or something, she wouldn't come in. So she yelled up to my father through the window in the garage, <clears throat> uh, Alfred, the two girls are drowning. And he looked out the window and he said, two less mouths to feed. And he kept on with his work. If I ever had any doubts that they really didn't love me, So then we went again to this revival meeting, and I just had to get it settled. So you didn't go forward there. You just sat in your seat, and somebody went and got the preacher, and he was James Boswell from Canada. And so he came, and he said this was going to be easy, you know, read Isaiah 53 and 5 and put your name in it. So I read but he was wounded for Alice's transgressions. He was bruised for Alice's iniquities. The chastisement of Alice's peace was upon him, and with his stripes, Alice is healed. And it didn't make sense to me. And I kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And I could not believe that anybody loved me enough to die for me. So I didn't have a problem with being a sinner. I had a problem with love. And so I kept reading it. And finally he gave up and he just sat there. They're waiting to close the building. I'm still sitting there waiting. And I kept reading it over and over and over. After about 30 minutes, it's like the Lord opened my eyes and I realized that he loved me. It was the first love I'd ever felt. And he can do that to you also. If you feel like you're unlovable or unloved, he can reach and save you. Just believe his word. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. Thank you. It's about 45 more minutes of that conversation. I wish you could hear. Here's a lady, though, who didn't know love had no framework for love, and yet somehow God opened up her eyes. Miracle. She was blind to his love, and then she saw. She didn't have all the answers. All she knew was, I was not loved. I was rejected by everybody that I, who, who ought on earth to love me, and yet somehow the Lord took me in. I don't have all the answers. I just know that that's the case. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's an amazing thing. You're here this morning.
maybe, maybe that's your story. Golly, I've been rejected by everybody I know, but I want, to hear, I want you to hear me say that God is in the business of taking people in, of helping blind people see, of revealing things and letting them know of the love that he has for them. So I want to encourage you. If you're here this morning, you need that um, to make your way to the back. We'll be back there and we can pray with you, talk with you, set up some time to visit, have a cup of coffee or whatever. If you've got other prayer needs, please feel free to make your way back there. It's an amazing grace that happened to Miss Alice that that has happened. I mean, that, that she didn't know God's love. And then in a moment, everything was against her. And then in a moment, she did. That's an amazing grace. So let's stand and let's sing about that grace together.